Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Come with me now. Good news for the Colorado Avalanche. They opened their road trip that they'll be taking back east with the kind of performance, at least offensively, there's more to dissect than that, that we'd hoped for. The Avalanche beat the Canadians 8-4. This was over in a hurry. It was 6-2 after two periods. There are things that are concerning. Uh, One of them with the goaltending, we'll get to. We touched on that yesterday. Uh, Georgiev only uh, had a 7 30s or something save percentage. It was done. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it, it was not good. It wasn't good. And, and, and we can dig into that. But, but we'll the first in. thing we'll look at, too, of course, is the loss of Arturi Lekin. And two goals on the night and an assist. One of those goals may have been very costly, as yeah. we know that he has broken a finger. Jared Bednar said after the game that it would be four to six weeks to have him back. Sandy, you went over the uh, the, the footage. Yes. Not quite Zapruder film, but the no. uh, hockey version. And, and seemed to, again, I, Jared I think Bednar, I know when it happened. Not it necessarily happened. A, a hockey code guy. Jared Bednar is kind of a straight shooter about these injuries all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. No, he, he said uh, basically four to six weeks. He said the good news is that it's the top hand, and the top hand was struck on a shot by Miko Rantanen that bounced in off the hand of Lekkonen. Lekkonen gets credit for the goal, but I think that shot broke his finger. And so uh, good news and bad news. Uh, Lekkonen's a hell of a player and and got the kind of greeting on his first trip back to Montreal since the trade last night that uh, only a hero gets. And it, it was a remarkable reception from the Montreal crowd which is generally very civil and appreciative of players both from the past and currently members of the Canadians, uh, although they were booing them last night, the current <laughs> members of the Canadians. But they gave a rousing ovation to Lekkonen before uh, the game began because Lekkonen was in the starting lineup. And then when he scored, he got an ovation, but he may have broken his finger on that very goal. So Alex Galchenyuk uh, called up in his place. Uh, we'll find out, you know, Galchenyuk, a, a veteran, obviously, because uh, once a very high draft pick, I believe 10th overall draft pick yeah. uh, a while back, hasn't quite stuck the way he had hoped, but the, the abs are sort of running out of, of options here. The The injury situation, we talked about this a bit yesterday, Sandy, and, and to get an idea of how the abs are perceived as fascinating. I, I've, I've said this yesterday. I've told everyone all year long. If the abs are healthy come playoff time, I could not care less what seed they are. I think they can win the Stanley Cup. I stand behind that. The concern is it feels like the likelihood that they'll be healthy coming into the playoffs slips further and further away every day. But when you look at at least some of the, the advanced metrics, the numbers, there's still a lot of believers in the abs' chances of winning the whole thing. Well, at 538, where they're not just issuing opinions, they're working they're really the formulas into the numbers and the metrics. There, yeah, right? absolutely. As of this morning, the Boston Bruins, naturally, with a record of 50, <laughs> 10, and 5, yeah. are given a 32% chance, oh. almost a 1 in 3 chance wow. of winning the Stanley Cup, which is extraordinary, considering, I believe, eight of the last 35 President's Trophy winners have won the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup. Eight out of 35. 
and yet Boston's there it's because the reasons they the ads, so dramatically outdistance everybody. They didn't think it was a jinx, but the ads, that's why the ads didn't worry about it and pursuing it late. They were more concerned about other things last year. 32%. The Avalanche are next at 15%. Now, they have the 11th best winning percentage in the NHL. They have the fifth best winning percentage in the Western Conference, but they're number two. According to to 538's calculations in Stanley Cup winning probability. They are ahead of Carolina at 11%, Vegas 6%, Toronto 5%, Dallas, Edmonton, the Rangers, the Lightning, and the Wild all at 4%. But I mean, look at that. They have almost four times as good a chance as Dallas, the first place team in their own division. Right. has to win the Stanley Cup. Edmonton with Connor McDavid, the greatest player on earth. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, yeah, I don't just, think so. It's ridiculous. But the rest of the team, it just doesn't seem to come together for them. They're in worse position than the Avs are in. They're not even a top three team in a very weak Pacific division. Four times, uh, but, almost but, four times. But they have four likely. times the chance. To the Golden the Knights are the second highest team in the in the and West. Three and it's two times and the chance that yeah. the Maple Leafs have. It's two Who and, and a half tonight, and will probably yeah. probably lose to tonight. The Golden Knights have that six percent, so two and a half times better than the second best team in the West. That's how the Abs are perceived, and uh, the Abs will take on the Toronto Maple Leafs next. That'll actually be t- it's tomorrow. It'll be uh, tomorrow. Thank- they thankfully do get a a day off. Uh, they don't get many because the uh, the Avs have a compressed you're, schedule. You're right. They have Wednesday against Toronto, Thursday against Ottawa, Saturday against Detroit. That'll wrap up that road trip. And yeah, Toronto, uh, that feels like a game they're likely to lose. I agree with you on that. I, I it's, a, it's a good team. You on need the road. to get Detroit. Now you're now you're down another man. Uh, You've got to get Ottawa. You need Detroit. to get they're Ottawa. Terrible. Right. right. Uh, Detroit's awful. Ottawa is is a pedestrian team. At, at best. It, it confuses me because the Nuggets are in Toronto tonight. And this right. is a rare occasion. Even when they played on the same night in the state of Florida a few weeks back, mm-hmm. on a Thursday night, they were not in the same city. The Nuggets are in Toronto to play a game tonight. The Avs are in Toronto to play a game tomorrow night. So you uh, displaced Colorado fans out in the Great White North have an yes. opportunity to... Uh, Double dip this week. And then, uh, I believe on the 18th, the Avs are at Detroit. And the Nuggets on the 16th play the Pistons in Detroit. So, these road trips somewhat mirror each other for the Avs and the Nuggets. But anyway, I was, the reason I had to, I was looking at the Nuggets Right, because you think yeah, Toronto's next, they, right. and they are playing. That is a that is a little weird to have them sort of be uh be that that they're sort of following they are, one another. They are in the same place as we uh, speak, and I I think yes. Save on hotels that way. They will lose. Right, they will lose to uh, <laughs> Toronto Nuggets. Uh, players have been coming to a number of ads games. Yes, they have. Yeah, really? well, the, yeah. Obviously, uh, uh, Bruce Brown, a big fan. Uh, DeAndre Jordan was out there with them at the last game right. uh, when Kale McCarr scored the. Overtime winner. They were banging on the glass like uh, every other fan. It's it is nice to see those those teams uh, support each other. And then, but in the Avs' case now, the trade deadline has come and gone. The Avs have what they have. Now you lose a very important player in Lekkinen. 
the Avs still scored eight goals. The firepower is still there. Oh, but no we've question. talked about and McCarr and McKinnon are both right now, and I would say Taves, uh, who's been a little spotty this year. Yeah. Uh, all three, maybe the three best players they have. By the way, if you didn't see Nathan McKinnon's power play goal last night, we just went around the entire. Montreal Canadiens, literally all of them, all four guys oh, on the ice as if they were traffic cones. Uh, go check it out. Length of the it's ice, amazing. just danced it's, around everybody. You know, Men McCarr's it looked like they weren't overtime there. goal the other day was magical. But I'm saying the top three players are at the top of their respective games right now, and, they, and that's good news. Uh, we can get to the goal take in score. a second. But, but it, it, you know, eight goals against Montreal, it is Montreal. Uh, right. And everything seemed to be going in last night on on both sides over the last and there two is a part we look but at, the abs got off to a four nothing yeah, lead it was it was over it, garbage time in hockey is a relatively rare thing because even a three goal lead is not necessarily nowadays not, safe no. nowadays uh and last night the abs were up four in the first period so even though it was early it was four to nothing virtually insurmountable and I thought things got a little sloppy. A couple of the goals, the puck bounced off people two or three times and, right. and went in. But uh, there were a couple of seen eye goals, too, that uh, Georgiev might have stopped. But we'll get into that uh, in just a second. The bottom line on the Avalanche, though, uh, right now, they have played 32 games against teams that would currently make the playoffs. They are 14, 12, and 6 in those games. Considering... All of the injuries, I actually don't think that's too bad. With the win against Montreal, their record against non-playoff teams is now 23-10. and 10. They have played 33 games against non-playoff teams. 23-10 and 10, uh, is the record. And uh, that's almost a 700 yeah. winning percentage. This is a team You'd with like the to be. softest strength of schedule remaining. Right. You'd like to be closer to 75%, but to get to 50 wins, 17 games left, 13 and four with the easiest schedule in the NHL, it's possible. Yeah, Less know. possible without Lekkonen, yeah. but possible. It, possible. Is, it is possible. The concern that I have with Lekkonen, and, and it coincides a little bit with the uh, poor performance by Georgiev. And I'm not, I'm not going to bury him because I will say in these games that, that they're early blow. And Georgiev faced 19 shots. Yeah. You're not tested very often. No. And, and, gold, and, and it's 7-2. to two Right. Goaltenders gives up a couple. Like being able to get not only a couple shots early, but generally they like being able to get sort of a steady rhythm over the course of a game. It doesn't mean you want 40 shots against you. But 19 over 60 minutes is a little... You find yourself a little Although we did say yesterday, time. that's kind of the challenge for the Avalanche when they're playing bad teams like Montreal. Mm-hmm. Limit the exposure. Now, you know, it's 7-2. to two, He lets in a couple. Uh, I want to see how he does tomorrow night in Toronto because yeah. that's a 40-win team right there, now. There is a part of me that looks at it. And uh, if definitely you, win 50 If games. you realize the game is, is out of hand and you're going to be fine and he kind of, uh, maybe he mailed in a performance in a game you knew how you had in hand. Yeah. Is that the worst thing? Yeah, I'm not really entirely well, sure it is. He uh, two goals involved deflections. Uh, one goal he clearly didn't see. Um, I still think the absence of Manson mm-hmm. being the kind of defenseman who can move guys out from in front of the net 
can dislodge them. Uh, they miss that. That element leads to my concern. But you've team. also got the Byram goal last night and a right. goal by McCarr last night that, especially the Byram goal, there are two or three defensemen in the league who can score that kind of and goal. The Avs have to and them. the Avs have at least McCarr and maybe even Taves and Girard mm-hmm. from time to time. Yeah. can score that kind of goal. Uh, so they've got four guys who at least occasionally can give you that kind of offense, which I know on the telecast last night, the Montreal announcers were marveling at. It, they were saying it's it, it's amazing if you have one guy like that. They have three, arguably four, and the arguable one is is Gerard. But, but we've actually but seen Gerard. Bone, Bone Byron played, I thought, the best game he's played in a month. Yeah, I agree with that. Trial. I thought he was tremendous. he was outstanding and uh, and and physical. Got a couple penalties, which I don't hate because need to be don't a little more it. physical. Don't hate it. Um, Kill McCarr joked after the game that uh, even though Bo and Byram de- tried to downplay it, McCarr told everyone, "Don't be fooled." He he, he was feeling like Bobby Orr out there. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I mean, similar. He path does on. wear number four. He did. And he is left handed. He wasn't. Uh, he didn't celebrate by completely being parallel to the ice, but uh, but well, it wasn't impressive. Or didn't though. always celebrate. Uh, no, just, just one time just when he won the Stanley Cup. But the, um, the the defense is the concern for me. It is the limiting the exposure. And that is the problem yeah. where the defensive injuries are problematic and you don't have guys that can stop those. There's way too many high danger shots in the slot. I agree. Gorgiev has to stop. Couldn't and agree more. My concern is you just lost the best four checker on your team for four to six weeks. And we're, we're not even talking about anybody close. There's Lekkanen, and then there's everybody else. Oh, yeah. Not even close. Well, he's their best defensive forward. And Especially you just lost him. The defense for the Avalanche is of real concern, and they might have to Paul Westhead this thing for a while. Jared Bednar might just say, hey, you know what, guys? We know we're going to be mm-hmm. we're gonna be in a shootout every single night for a little while. We, we need you to go out there and just put six goals up. That just means well, maybe what the guys have to do. they got to play with leads. They may and, need to take and they a jump dominated and, and the push game last night. They but, may but have they, to do it. They've got to play with leads. Because now, I don't think they have the personnel to keep the high danger shots out the, of the slot. I don't the, think they do. Right again, now. the good news is Toronto is by far the best team they have left on the schedule. And they yes. get that game tomorrow night. Then it's out of the way. And uh, they can move on to uh, Ottawa, Detroit. And then they have uh, three home games mm-hmm. against Chicago, Pittsburgh, and Arizona. Uh, you, you've got to get at least five points out of the six available there. Then you go to Arizona, home against the Wild in Dallas on the 29th and April Fool's Day, and then uh, in this next 10-game stretch, they're in San Jose on April 4th. So that's five home, five on the road, and by far the best team they play is the team they'll play tomorrow. Give you a crazy bit about Arizona at home, by the way, before before we hop out of here. If you would just bet $100, on Arizona to win its home games all year. Just just money line bets. 100 bucks on every game for Arizona. Just win your home games. You'd be up $1,340. Cuz they're pretty good at home, but uh they have not have to worry about that for a while. Sandy pointed out the Nuggets are playing in Toronto tonight. tonight. We'll take <laughs> we a look. Got that worked out. It yeah, took we'll, us 20 minutes. We'll take a look at them and uh, find out where they sit as they have a early tip at least for Yes, local. We'll take a look at the Nuggets. We'll do that next on Mile High Sports.
Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Denver Nuggets will be in action in Toronto a day before the Avalanche get busy in as we just talked about. But for for the Nuggets, Sandy, you find themselves in a, I guess not insurmountable lead in the West, but awfully close. If they win two or three of the five games on this road trip, it's probably they will coast to the Western Conference title for the first time. First time in their history. In their NBA history. Here's the challenge. To my mind, the Nuggets have been coasting for a little bit already. And since they last beat Toronto on the 6th of March, by the way, the last time they've won a basketball game, they've lost three. Last time they won a home game. Yeah, a home game, too. Uh, They lost to Chicago in a bad loss. I mean, a bad, bad loss. Uh, San Antonio's made them worse because that team is abysmal. Right. And George Carl told me. Then you lose to Brooklyn. And he and Greg Popovich are very close friends. He was down in San Antonio about a month ago. And George told me. He's thinking he's watching the game. And again, he and Popovich are very close friends. He said, Pop, what are you doing? Hanging around a coach. They are the the basketball equivalent of a triple-A baseball team. They are right now. They, they really are. They're playing teenagers and guys in their early 20s. Now, they're all number one picks, and it's conceivable in two or three years, if Popovich is still coaching, uh, they could be quite good. And we saw them at their best the other night, but Georgia's saying they're the worst team I've seen this year in the in the NBA, even though their record may not be the worst record. And for the Nuggets to lose to that team with basically a fully healthy roster at their disposal, it, it's, it, it's, it, very it's the worst loss of the year. They they're having a tough time caring. Other than Detroit, about at some home, of these games, they're having a tough the time caring. That was the worst loss of the year, and and that's the reality, and that's the challenge because they are really having a tough time caring about these games right now. That's well, that's my concern. It, is is how, it, that, how much that's do you one way worry of looking about at it, that? Though. That's that's only one way of looking at it. Okay. Secondly, I'd love to find the, the coach is overplaying Jokic and Murray in particular, and he is not successfully up to now integrating the two players off the bench acquired at the deadline, Reggie Jackson and Thomas Bryant. They, they, they have not successfully integrated. No. I'm not blaming Malone for all Something, of that. Something, by the way. That and Malone has taken Bryant out of the rotation, by yes. the way. Reggie Jackson. Which I think is the right move. By the way, in their win over Toronto, after that game, of course, which he had his best game as a nugget, actually said specifically that unit has not integrated. In fact, uh, Reggie Jackson talked about how it's been tough to getting themselves all organized. In fact, he blamed himself in that press conference for not getting Bryant the right kind of looks. Right. And and Bryant's seen his playing time reduced, which he knew would happen, but it's a 25-year-old kid who was playing 22 minutes a game it and starting zero in the last during game. the innumerable games that Anthony Davis seems to miss every year, right? He was a starting player getting starters minutes in that role for a few weeks and was averaging 12 points and seven rebounds a game. He's not great defensively. He wasn't great defensively with the Lakers, but he was a productive offensive player and he hasn't 
been any of that. He's been a mistake player here, has not been effective defensively. That's not a surprise. Uh, Reggie Jackson's minutes, I don't know that they've changed all that much, but it's a different team. It's a different setting. And even for a veteran, uh, there's an adjustment period. Remember when the Avs got Manson last year yeah. and he looked lost? It looked like it, he admitted, up to the playoffs. Fact, I believe lost was even his own words about it. Didn't really feel, and, and this is a player that was that, that's good and knows what he's supposed to do. It can be difficult, and, and especially because joining the Nuggets, you have to understand, and I get it, it's a, it's a bench unit, but Nikola Jokic plays a lot, of, a lot of minutes. There is no other team in the NBA that runs their offense the way that Ever Nuggets run their offense because there is no other team that has Nikola Jokic. The only right. one that comes close is actually kind of on their tail in the Sacramento Kings that run it inside out through DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, who's got a triple-double from last night against Milwaukee. And they lost the, the double game, but he leads the league in double-doubles yeah. over Jokic, and he's now more often than he was earlier in the season getting into triple-double territory. But I, I, I do want to say this, and you had the minutes, particularly since the All-Star mm-hmm. break, for Jokic, which have gone up, and for Murray, which have gone up. Yep. Uh, yeah. Christian Brown, since the All-Star break, has been a DNP CD three times. And in nine games overall, including the three DNP CDs, he's averaging 6.6 minutes a game. He should be playing at least twice that much, if not three times that much. Now, he has gotten into eight of the nine games post-All-Star, but he's only averaging 7.4 minutes. Well, yeah. I, it's I mean, not significant. They're, they're, I, I saw six out of the nine. You saw seven. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's right around six to not seven much. minutes a game. It's not enough. And that includes 12 from the other day. And the only reason he played 12 the other day was because Murray was hurt and couldn't go. In it's the less than half of what Vladko Chanchar gets. In general. It's ridiculous. And I look, and, and I, I, will ridiculous. Give, I will give you the fact that I think Chanchar on this team actually is a more effective player than he would be on a lot of other teams and actually is usually in the right place at the right time doing the right things. Mm-hmm. I think there's a limitation on the talent, but I but I think as a bench yeah. player, he's perfectly serviceable. Sure. But is he twice as good as well, he's, Brown? He, he's, he's their backup center right now over Brian and right. over... DeAndre George. Yeah, who was that? That was that was an, that was an odd signing. Complete waste of time in the first place. Never made sense. I'm not sure why they signed him. And I, I I read a piece in the Athletic uh, saluting Given Jordan's. This, he's been a great teammate. He's qualities gone, yeah. as a teammate. I mean, exactly. He, he's, okay. This is a guy that's had but a very good what? career. Christian Brown's all. a great teammate too. Yeah. He has never complained about his minutes. Unlike Bones Highland, he's right. never said a word, and he's playing about a third of the minutes that Highland was playing before he got traded. Now they put Highland on the shelf for the last two weeks. He was here after he left the bench that put him in the doghouse, and he didn't play at all. But before that time, he was averaging 19 minutes a game since the all-star break. Brown is at 6.6. If you count all nine games. And it's interesting when you take Not a look just at the his games numbers, he's right? played. in. He's averaging 1.4 rebounds, 3.3 points in those minutes per game. And he is not a, he's not a four. He's not a power forward. But, oh, no. Jeff, but Jeff Green gets 20 minutes a game on average, post-All-Star break. He is averaging just a little more than double 
Christian Brown's points at 7.4. He's he's a four. He's averaging 2.9 rebounds. That's basically exactly double of what Christian Brown gets, who is a three at best. Christian Brown is 6'6", 225. He's he's not a skinny 6'3 guy. Jeff Green gets three times the minutes of Christian Brown, and he's not even... Ridiculous. Ridiculous. He's not even as effective. Malone is so stubborn on some of these issues that I think it is injurious to the Nuggets. And I, I think we look at Thomas in Bryant. In the long run. I, I'm kind of with you on that because I've been looking at Thomas Bryant, right? Okay, I get it. He hasn't found a way to incorporate himself. He's had a difficult time adjusting. Right. At the same time, he's 25, and we saw what he can do. He's not going to work it out on the bench. You, you traded for him. You know there's ability there. You know you need backup size. You know the, the, at least a, a body up the middle. He's not going to work it out on the bench. And, and my my beef at time with Malone is when guys get in his dog. I, players get in the coach's doghouse all the time. But I personally think the best coaches, the player will know why they're in the doghouse, and they'll know what they have to do to get out. And I can't say for sure that the players that never right. know that. Let's talk about the most recent guys who've definitely been in the doghouse. Highland and Porter. Now, Highlands, we get. Highland left the bench. He's literally walked off in the middle of the game. And I like Bones Highland, but you can't leave the bench during the game. You you can't do that. Porter, with whom I rarely agree on much of anything, and I think is colossally overrated for a guy who signed a deal within the last year and a half for what, $207 million? <laughs> a lot Ridiculous. of money. All right. Untradeable. But I thought he had a beef the other day when he was benched for virtually the entire fourth quarter in a game the Nuggets were down by 11. Presumably for defense. Going into the quarter because the Nuggets gave up 38 points in the third quarter, and Michael Malone apparently decided that was all uh, Porter's fault. Now, I know Porter didn't play defense, but that's always been true. And Porter was having a good, efficient offensive game. This wasn't one of those two-for-12 deals with Michael Porter on offense where you take him out of the game, He's not, he doesn't play any defense, and he's not really involved offensively. Uh, and I'm talking about the game Friday night that he got thrown out of mm-hmm. in San Antonio where even when he was in the game, he wasn't doing anything. Yeah, that one was right? a, Yeah. He didn't that, do much. That's that one that thing. Game. But he was having a good game on Sunday. And I know it was 98, 87 after three, but you know, going into the fourth quarter, you need at least 35. And points you hadn't to punted win. because you were going to put Nicole Jokic in, played him 39 minutes in that, right. in that 23 minutes. Right. Not only did Porter Jr. have 23 points on 75% shooting, but he also had four assists, three boards and a steal. What do you want out of Michael Porter Jr.? Look, that, that's that's about as good as, as he gets in an all-around game. And, and you wanted to make a statement that the defense was bad in the third. So you just pick a guy? But after the game, he, here's where Malone's stubbornness confuses me. Malone says, and I'm quoting him more or less verbatim, he says, well, he's asked about Porter not playing. And he says, well, we gave up 38 in the third quarter but it wasn't just on Michael Porter. And my response to that, if you were allowed to pose follow-up questions, which you never are. Nope, not anymore. Anymore. In any sport. Nope. Nowhere. Uh, would have been, wait a minute. He was the guy you benched. You didn't bench Aaron Gordon. You didn't bench Jokic. 
Uh, Murray only didn't play because he was hurt. Yeah, you wouldn't have benched Murray. You know so, so who did you bench in the fourth quarter other than Porter while you're saying, well, we gave him. up 38 and it wasn't just him. But he was the guy, as he properly noted after the game, that for all but the last 20 seconds of the game, he was out. In a game which, by the way, if you extrapolate what he had played, you extrapolate it and give him the, the minutes to say Jokic did. Listen, they played him that many more minutes. He's got 33 points, five boards, and seven assists. Yeah. Well, and I know that I know you're the 48 minutes. I know thing that you're extrapolating there. But uh, but at the same time, you know, it is it, it's my beef is okay, fine, you do that. Does Michael Porter know why he's in the doghouse? Does Michael Porter know what he has to so. do to get out of it? And it, and it reminds me of any me. number of former Nuggets who got on Malone's bad side and didn't exactly know why all of a sudden he wasn't playing them. And they were even, in some cases, guys who Malone purported to like. Malone has said nothing but praiseworthy things all year about Christian Brown. He just won't play him. Just play him right? <laughs> he says every time he comes in, he, he gives him a spark, and he, he raved about him the other day. And I'm thinking, why more. didn't you get him in during the first three quarters of the game, particularly in the third and quarter, the thing, I if you're worried about the defense so much? I don't actually think Christian Brown is in the doghouse. That part's just no, bizarre. No, oh, no, I don't think so. He certainly hasn't complained about minutes. Mm-hmm. He has basically not said a word. And I... I, I followed him closely at Kansas, right. and he was not a wallflower. He would even poke at Bill Self on occasion. And, you know, good-naturedly, but he wasn't a wallflower. Here, he's just been a pro, a rookie. He's been a pro, and he he's well-prepared when called upon. He's clearly, the other day, he goes into a game and changes the whole dynamic of the game even before they sub Jokic back in with about nine minutes mm-hmm. to go for the thir- first three minutes of the fourth Might quarter. Might have been the only reason he they decided the to put Jokic back reason, in. the only reason. The only reason they were getting back into the game. Over the on only our, reason. He was uh, the best player line, on the floor. Text line's 303-831-1340, by the way. I have a text on Michael Porter Jr. Danny? Yes, we've got another one from Roger, who also texted us when we were talking about MPJ yesterday. He said, <laughs> a Porter being a defensive liability is an old and overrated narrative, in my opinion. He's improved, even according to Malone, like you said, Sandy. Uh, Jokic and Murray always get a pass on their awful defense, but Porter is the only one who gets scapegoated double standard. I think, again, much as Roger's text yesterday was one with which I fundamentally agreed, I would say the same thing here. I could quibble, but I think his I think he's his point is generally he's, he's never, correct. He's not going to become Draymond uh, Green ever. No, Don't, let's not no. get silly. And, and improvement is, has been marginal. But the, the double standard business and the scapegoating, Jamal Murray I think there's an element, at least the other day, of having scapegoated Murray. I'm sorry, uh, Porter. Mm-hmm. Scapegoated Porter. And done... A bit of, you know, I there's some revisionist history. I, I, I just history think Jokic, uh, Jokic, and Murray, I think, are fatigued, and now, I, you know, I guess he'll play tonight, from what I hear. But 
I've seen signs, uh, and he's had soreness, in fact, in both knees, both right and left knees, within the last six weeks. But, as you pointed out, Sandy, if on this road trip, if they can maybe get three wins out of those five. Oh, they're gold. Then this Western Conference race is essentially over. It is. And then all of a sudden, you can maybe consider rest. So, we'll have to take a look at that as well. uh, Very quickly, in 2023... On road win home loss differential, the Nuggets are plus three, Memphis plus three, Sacramento plus four, Phoenix plus three. And over in the East, Milwaukee plus 10, Boston plus six, Philly plus seven, Cleveland plus five, the Knicks plus four. So in 2023, the Nuggets have a good record. But that means they played a ton of home games after having that heavy road schedule in October, November, December. 16 and 16 on the road this year. Hope to get the 17th win and above 500. More importantly, try to stop a three-game losing streak. Sandy, your brackets are out. We haven't had a chance to talk about brackets. We're going to do that next on Mile High Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. As it stands, the uh, March Madness Tournament, NCAA Tournament, whatever you want to call it, starts, uh, well, quite frankly, in just under an hour with a couple of the Play-in games, the field of 68, whatever you want to call it. Uh, right. Southwest Missouri State. First will take on four games. First four. Sorry, my bad on the branding. Southeast Missouri State takes on Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So at least you know where that version of Texas A&M is. And that'll be followed by Pittsburgh at Mississippi State. The first game, a pair of 16 seeds. The second game, a pair of 11 seeds as the tournament tips off. The... Obviously, this is still one of the most exciting things in all of sports. I'm always intrigued. Even folks who aren't into college basketball uh, end up really enjoying the tournament, and that's because anything can happen. And it feels, Sandy, uh, you are a more seasoned college basketball observer than I am, but it feels this year like even more than usual that anything can happen risk is real. I think so. Uh, My old friend... uh... Dan Wilkin at USA Today had a great column today, and the big headline on top of it is stuff them, as in expect to deposit your brackets right into the trash (laughs) during the unpredictable NCAA tournament, and it will be, at least for the men, uh, perhaps a little more predictable for the women. It'll be wild for the men, and I think at least two of the four number one seeds will be gone after the second weekend, if wow. not after the first weekend. I I, th- I think it'll be at least two of the four. It's a, I mean, it's uh, a strong and, year for mid. The mid-majors are really strong. I think uh, some so. of the traditional I conferences, so. you were talking about it. You said the during ACC the break, is ACC, is better. you put it behind the Mountain West. Mountain West is better than the ACC. That's fascinating to me. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm so at, intrigued. Uh, the the, the play-in game 
that you talked about with Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Pittsburgh was one of the top ACC teams this year, and they're they're in the first four. They're playing Mississippi State, right, which is a bottom rung SEC team that just managed to squeeze in. That tells you a lot right there, and. You know, Duke's a five seed. Now, I think Duke right now is playing better than any other five seed and maybe any other four seed. Um, but the ACC is terrible. You, you had a first in the history of college basketball. North Carolina, number one ranked going into the season. Mm-hmm. A team that had a 15-point lead going into the second half of the national championship game against Kansas last spring. That team didn't qualify in a very weak ACC. Wow. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that for the tournament crazy? and was so ashamed that it declined an invitation to the NIT, which CU will be participating Seton in tonight, Hall tonight up in Boulder. Seton Hall up in Boulder. Right. Now it's uh, I believe a nine o'clock start. It is. It's late. a little bit past my bedtime, but, 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 but I'll that's be okay. That that means it gives you the opportunity. I mean, th- those are the ones if you're if you see that. That's why you go into the NIT, right? Okay, it's a late start. I get that. It's for the night owls. I mean, I'm one of those, so that's fine by me. But I, I think, but, see, but it gives you an opportunity. Is, to, exposures there, right? CU has a better team than North Carolina, <laughs> in my opinion. I, I how about that? And by the way, Tad Boyle has a terrific recruiting class coming in for next year, including his first ever five-star recruit. Yeah. Three of the top ESPN 150. Yes. Coming in. He's got, uh, I think, a four-star and a Mm three-star and a five-star. Yep. All uh, will start next year. And they've got a nice young team. The parts don't quite fit together, but I think they will be very good. They will be a top three, top I've four team in out, the Pac-12 next year. The NIT always, I find interesting because, you know, people kind of go, ah, okay, we'll decline. I, I get it if you're North Carolina, but for the most part, it, it always stuns me because these college athletes, let's face it, even especially, you know, college basketball is what, 300 and some yeah. Division One teams? Yeah, uh, over 300. The vast majority of these guys are never going to play right. organized basketball again unless right. it's at their local gym, right? I, I, I'm thinking back to when I was a college student. If I was going to be one of those guys that was never going to make the NBA, which I assure you I would have been, I would have been, I'd want to play every game I could play. This is maybe the end for me. I've been playing this. This is the kid, and this is this is the end of the road for me. I want to play all of the games. I could be wrong, but I think this CU team will play very hard. Past CU teams that felt they should have gotten into the national tournament took Bids I, from I other love, tournaments, right? Without the degree of seriousness that, and I love what Tad Boyle is doing. But I will say this for Tad, but it Boyle, gives him extra practice time. It does, which is good. and I think for Boyle, quite frankly, there should be some expectations in this tournament. I know it's the NIT. I get yeah. that, but oh, we've yeah. seen we've seen some CU teams not particularly seem motivated. Look, if you're really building towards something, take this tournament seriously. Tennessee is a four seed. CU beat them earlier this year in Tennessee, not on campus, mm-hmm. but in the state of Tennessee, beat them earlier this year, beat Texas A&M, also an NCAA tournament team, beat them earlier in the season. 
had a nine-point lead with 10 minutes to go at UCLA at Pauley Pavilion. And if not for the loss of Tristan Da Silva to a sprained ankle yes. in the five minutes, at last five minutes of the game here, they maybe might well have won. They only lost by four as mm. it was, and they had a lead in the final two minutes. They might have had them. It felt like they maybe had them. But they'll get Seton Hall tonight. That'll be on uh, ESPN2 if you want to watch it. 9 p.m. is uh, the tip-off course. I'll, I'll be catching that. We'll talk about that. Pat Boyle's one of my well. favorite people in sports, yeah. and I uh, – I think we in this area should be very thankful to have people like, uh, among others, Tad Boyle at CU, Nico Medved at CSU, and Joe Scott at Air Force, who are beyond reproach when it comes to their conduct. Yes. Uh, We saw two coaches get fired this year in the Pac-12, Chris Beard at Texas uh, for uh, domestic violence Mm -hmm. case and I, I thought Texas had every right to fire Chris Beard, even though he was not charged. At the end of the day, clearly something objectionable happened, and he was fired at Texas. And uh, before the Big 12 tournament began, Mark Adams, Chris Beard's successor mm-hmm. at Texas Tech, was fired for speaking in an offensive manner to a player which apparently was not the first time for uh, Mark Adams no, at age even, 66. Close, he got fired. And, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about Oates at Alabama with this whole Brandon Miller business. That's that's going to become... Thank goodness we have people like Tad Boyle, Nico Medved, yeah. and Joe Scott. Yeah, and I mean, look, those area coaches here. Gonna, and I don't care how much they win. They are beyond reproach, and they run clean programs. Look, even Air Force right now, has, they have some... Infractions, sanctions they have to deal with. That's the reality. And you're right. Uh, all three of those coaches, you don't hear any of that stuff about them to give them a lot of credit. But uh, I, I am I am intrigued. You had you had a very before before we sneak out of here, because one of the controversies was about Kansas. Yeah. And how that's it, my team. It, right. And it felt like that the committee I felt that the selection committee wanted to do a little bit of maneuvering when they put together their brackets to keep Kansas out of Kansas City. I think City. you're right about that. But the, <laughs> the funny thing is, you you brought up some very good points yeah. as an observer of Kansas. There's just a presumption that that's an advantage for Kansas to be in it, KC, it really but it actually hasn't it, turned out to it, be it, one. It's, it's not their home court. It's a very nice facility in Kansas City, but it is not Allen Fieldhouse. And, you know, they've lost... Uh, plenty of Big 12 tournament games through the years in Kansas City, where they supposedly got this huge home court advantage. They got smashed by Texas the other day, and Texas is good. Uh, beat them by 20 points. Uh, but, uh, you know, Bill Self certainly knows that Kansas City is not necessarily the best place all the time for Kansas to play because you you do have your fans there, of course, and you do have support, but there's also pressure that Kansas will not have in Las Vegas, assuming it gets that far, and Kansas may not get that far. I think all of the first-seeded teams, regardless of whether it's Alabama is the number one overall seed or Houston is number two. It's not going to happen, Kansas but I number guarantee three, Purdue you. number four, they could all lose – if not this weekend upcoming, then the following weekend, uh, Sweet 16, Elite 8. And and none of them, uh, 
are guaranteed of getting to the Final Four. None of them. It's it's really that wide open. Now, I don't see 16s beating ones. I'm not talking about that, or eight or nines beating ones across the board, but there are going to be some surprises, and I think some of the higher-seeded teams, seeded first, second, third, or fourth, could very, very easily lose early on. I can tell you, I, I imagine the NCAA, they'd never say it, but they'd absolutely love to see Alabama lose as early as possible so they can get that story out of the way. I agree with you. Um, that, I'm not they, sure they, they there are that. people at Alabama, which uh, after all is me. always going to be a football school, sure. who are maybe would like to deep down maybe like to have that spotlight turned down a that little bit the spotlight gets turned down or turned off yeah we will find out of course uh, terrific being with you for a couple hours today thanks especially to uh, the men in the booth Danny Bailey and Andrew Denver putting it all together Danny's put, put everything you hear and Andrew's putting everything you see over at milehighsports.com and the uh, Mile High Sports app of course you make sure that you uh, check out any of those things follow by the way on Instagram and Twitter it's easy Mile High Sports yeah. because after right after this Sandy you and I are going to go do what we do now we're going to go film a little uh, little something for we social we had fun with that yesterday yeah to explain uh, what you might have missed and what we're looking forward tonight and if you missed any part of it same thing MileHighSports.com Mile High Sports app all of it's on demand. Thanks so much. We'll be back tomorrow with more Afternoon Drive with Anilo Piro. Cody Rourke is next on Mile High Sports.